0: Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And this was just an absolutely incredible conversation with somebody that truly knows how to tell inspirational stories. Um, You will leave this episode feeling fantastic about your life. You will feel like you can go out and take on the world. Um, This was just a wonderful episode with... John McLean, he shares his story from his accident and becoming a paraplegic uh, in 1988 and then how he just shifted his attitude and his life and ended on going to completing the Hawaiian Ironman three times, um, the third time getting well and truly under the cutoff times, uh, then going and swimming the English Channel, becoming a para, uh, Paralympic athlete at, at two Olympics, at Sydney Olympic Games, and then again in Beijing uh, for different sports, uh, wheelchair racing in Sydney, and then rowing in 08. In um, just a fantastic episode. You, you'll, you'll get a lot out of this one. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Okay, before we get into it, listen up. If you're trading your family time and, and, and a cushy sofa for hours of sweat, pain, and maybe some glory, that's a choice. So make it count. Red Bull claims that they give you wings. Well, big deal. Wings don't mean jack unless you're actually flying. With fast food, it's not just about liftoff, it's about cruising at 30,000 feet without even a hint of a crash landing. First, there's the Galacto Gummies, a kick of energy that stays with you. No spikes, no crashes, just smooth, consistent power. Next, we've got the hydrator. This isn't your corner store sports drink, it's electrolytes and micronutrients dialed in for optimal performance. And let's not forget the Galacto Gels, your mid flight energy boost, all designed to keep you at your peak performance for the long haul. So, are you going to just flap those wings or are you ready to actually fly? make the choice, make it count and make it with fast food. Visit fastfood.com and let's own the sky together. All right. Today's guest is, well, he's an Australian icon and, and just a global inspiration. After surviving a near fatal accident, he became the first wheelchair athlete to complete the Hawaiian Ironman, swim the English Channel, and just do so much more. He's a testament to the power of the human spirit to conquer even the most daunting challenges. This man redefines the word resilient. It's an honor and a privilege to have him join me on the show. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, John McLean. How
1: are you, mate? Hey, Greg, Greg, it's great to uh, catch up with a fellow. What's he living in the US? Mate, um, life is good. Life is good.
0: Life is good. It's been a while. I was trying to think. When did our paths last cross? I... I don't think it's been within the last 10 years. Is it 10 years? (laughs) I don't know, mate.
1: I'm I'm going to say more. My first recollection of you was, um, you know, we find inspiration in many different ways. And for me, it was always sitting down and relaxing on watching wild water sports or watching sports in general on television was a great way for me to... Mm. uh, to be inspired. I remember watching you Was part of the St. George series. Is that your <laughs> reflection back in the day? In the We're going back to
0: 97, 98, somewhere
1: there. <laughs> yeah, Miles Jordan, and Croc and yeah. you know, all, those, all those amazing athletes. Oh, so, yeah. um, I remember getting down there one time to Manly watching you go up and down the promenade with the rest of the guys in, in and out and stuff. So, um, mate, great to have the opportunity to have a chat with you today.
0: Yeah, thanks, mate. I tell you what, you just bringing back some of those memories. It, it really was the start of, somewhat the start of my career. And it just so makes me feel so good. So thanks for bringing that up because it has been, uh, that's 25 years ago. My goodness. Mate, and you've been busy. You've been busy. Motivational speaking, writing books, learning to yeah. walk, learning to walk. Hang on. This <laughs> is. I want to go into all detail in the show, but um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I've been doing my homework. I've been watching you from afar. This episode is all about. I kind of want to walk through this journey with you a bit, um, but before we get into all of that, <laughs> where are you? Where are you calling from? I'm I'm East Coast, US. Whereabouts are you yeah. at the moment?
1: Um, we live in inner west in Sydney, a place called Haberfield.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's home for uh, Amanda, Jack, and
0: I. Yeah, that's uh, right where the all the Olympics were. Everybody and all the rowing clu- all the rowing sheds are. All the great rowers out of Australia come out of Sydney Harbour and Haberfield. I, I remember doing rowing all through there as a kid growing up. <laughs> it's a beautiful part of the world. And I, I had um, Pete Jacobs on the show a few weeks ago, and uh, we were both singing your praises. Um, and I was like, man, I wonder if John would be willing to come on the show. So here you are, and I truly appreciate you coming on, buddy.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I listened to the show, and it was nice for PJ to be kind enough to mention me as one of the people who'd like to, uh, to have to dinner. So I'm looking forward to that invitation. I can actually <laughs> <can>. <laughs> that's right, he did
0: too. Yes. I want to be I just want to be the waiter at that dinner and just sit in and, and, and hang out with you guys. Um and I will ask that question to you later in the episode. But let's get started. I, I what I'd love to do, and as if you've listened to the show, I do love to sort of just rewind the clock a little bit. Um for you and I that's rew- rewinding a fair way these days. But I'd love to just um get an understanding of your youth, um, your passion for sports, you know, where you grew up, um, and you just get an understanding of John McLean pre-accident.
1: Yep. Okay, so mum and dad, go way back, mum and dad immigrated from Scotland, and that's the name McLean, mm-hmm. Scottish background, and back in the day in the boat, my brother was, and sister was born overseas, and I was lucky enough to be born in Cronulla, that's mm-hmm. um, we arrived here. And then my first uh, earliest recollection is growing up in uh, Mount Druid, which is out west, west of Sydney. It's the I guess uh, blue-collar, low socio economic kind of area. We didn't have much, but I think we had lots. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that Dad said early for uh, all of us, my brother Mark, my sister Marion and myself, was sports are a great way of meeting people and making friends. So he would encourage us to get involved in sports, and that looked like, I mean, I was three years younger than, my, my brother, Mark, so you know, here I am trying to follow in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. We played uh, rugby league in the winter, uh, football, and or the code of football that's here, and he was very, very good, my brother, so I was trying to be half as good as him was my kind of drive, but also athletics in the winter, so I was quite gifted in terms of being uh, fast. And there was a seat that was planted very early when Dad would take us to watch Henry Panthers, which is the local football team. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, here I am with my brother, dressed up in the uniform, and that's when the the dream started for me to imagine that maybe one day I could be one of the players. Versus you know, a younger version of myself watching the players and hoping that one of them might sign a piece of paper with a pencil that I had outside of the, the dressing room when they'd finish. Yeah. Um, and that's that's when the kind of the dream started with sport that. That really lit me up, and I love that expression, Greg, because it implies that you know it gets you excited to do something or something to work towards. And ironically, that um, that happened. So I played lower grade um, for the Penrith Panthers. So I, I literally was able to chase a dream and catch it. And I well encourage others. Mm. I encourage others to identify, like you know, work out what it is, um, back yourself, and if you build a team to support them, there's every right for you and others to. To catch the dream. So whether that's a dream in business or a dream in sport or whatever the dream is, if we apply the effort, then it's often the case will get a result. And for me, that result was uh, slotted in early as the kid. And when any boys or girls asked for my autograph, clearly I was overjoyed that someone would even ask. And you know, you can imagine that little boy in me was mm. just very hopeful that someone might. Mm. So I guess that's the early stages of, of, uh, of sport. And for me, and I thought at that stage that life doesn 't get any better because I was literally riding the roller coaster and it was continuing to go up, um, I guess until that pivotal moment when I had my accident
0: mm. I, just just to give uh, international listeners a bit of perspective. Um Penrith Panthers, uh, Australian rugby league is one of our dominant codes in Australia that, um, you know, professional codes, people love and watch. And Penrith Panthers is one of the iconic teams of Australia. Um, somewhat one of the most successful, uh, rugby league teams probably the last few decades. Um, so w- when John mentions that he was playing with the Pen- Penrith Panthers, it's, it's actually, it's a big deal. Um, and I know that you must've, given that a hell of a ride. Um, and that's really cool. That's actually, you know, really commendable. Um, and Penrith mate, you're, you I'm, I'm a Northern Sydney's boy, uh, you know, breaking up Sydney into sort of its, uh, Eastern suburbs, Southern Western and Northern, you know, we're all from somewhere, you know, we used to call you guys the Westies. I don't know. What, what do you guys call us? What do you call them, Northerners? Was
1: that, was that the Silver Spoons?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I think you're probably spot on, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So you did have a name for it. There we go, everybody. I've just found out I'm 51 years old, and I now know what everyone was calling us. But, mate, but l- let's do this. I want to, you know, we fast forward. You know, you're playing rugby league. You, you've you've become this kid turning into a man that's actually achieving. Um and then in 1988, um, you're hit by a, an eight-ton truck while riding your bike, I believe, preparing for the Nepean Triathlon, um, which left you as a paraplegic, you know.
1: Let me, so yeah. Greg, let me share that with you. So um, I had identified at that stage, I was 22, that I wanted to be a fireman, in a first responder, and kind of, that really appealed to me. Yeah. Um, and... I was, um, you know, I loved playing footy, and that was something that I was really passionate about. But I also knew that it's not something you can do for mm-hmm. the next phases of life. So I did have a direction, and ironically, um, one of my buddies growing up, we were both into health and fitness and exercise. So he um, he challenged me to a triathlon, which I was unaware of at the time. Because that was pretty much early days that I was aware, mm-hmm. and. He says, you know, it's a swim and it's a bike and it's a run and I'm going to beat you. And I was was slightly competitive and maybe still the So I I beat him the first one and I I didn't know how to swim, so I had to breaststroke the whole way. But he beat me the second one. And then we were training for the third one when I had my accident. So that's kind of framing that up, that mm, transition. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it was a big truck, um, eight times traveling at 110 kilometers an hour, the legal speed limit. I think if we look at miles in on the US, that'd be maybe 65, somewhere oh, around that.
0: Yeah, no, 70 miles an hour, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, facility So damage to me, um, broken back in three, uh, pelvis in four on the right side, I'm broken arm in two right side, fractured sternum, broken ribs, punch at lungs, a lot of damage, as you would imagine, a cyclist getting hit by a truck at that speed. Holy shit. And that was the point of impact. And I was flying through the air and was sliding on the road until the guardrail, which is one of those rails to the side of the road to prevent anything going over the side. So that's where I finished. So um, I guess a couple of things happened there. One is there's an example of change or transformation or turning point.
0: Mm.
1: One door is literally closed and that's, Born. for me my first uh, recollection was waking up in a hospital and i had no idea of where i was or what was happening and that was very scary because when we take away the mask we will wear masks in different ways mm-hmm. so that was just the essence of self and you know you're fighting for life and you're wondering what's happened so that's literally uh, one second you know your life is just blue sky absolutely amazing the next second it's not it's mm-hmm. dark and- It's very uncomfortable and a lot of pain. So that's the kind of the transition, and then you've got to come to terms with how do you how do you make sense of this new reality? And Mm. it's really hard because Mm. it's not like a broken arm or leg where you go, okay, that's not ideal, but you know, plus, as we all know, six to eight weeks, and you know, gradually build that up, and you're away again. Mm. Um, So I was in intensive care for um, for six weeks, and the biggest shock for me, Greg, was getting out of the bed for the first time transferring into a wheelchair and you're broken so there's everyone to help and assist and the first time I went to the bathroom to catch a glimpse of myself after eight weeks and you can imagine again how quickly Mm. our bodies wasted away um, and all the scars and everything else and when I saw myself I I was almost physically sick because it was not the recollection that I had pre-accident and therefore You know, we all have conversations and we have more internal conversations. Mm I need Greg talking to Greg more than Greg talking to John as an example. Mm -hmm. And some of the conversation for me was, you know, I I don't like what I'm seeing and how could anybody else and where do I fit into the world and I'm not going to have a job and I'm not going to be a fireman and I'm not going to run and I'm not going to all that style of conversation. So that was really, really uh, difficult. But I think at the same time, you know, I, I truly believe that I fought to live, like to survive, because I felt like I had that, it's hard to say, but I felt like I had that choice of um, maybe leaving or going, um, but I was holding on to, and obviously heavily drug-induced, so just parts of my memory as it was coming in and out that I fought to survive. So that was the first stage of coming aware of the anomaly of the accident. The other guy in the room in intensive care uh, we had conversations because we could both talk. He had broken his neck whilst riding a motorbike and he couldn't move anything from his neck down. So talk about perspective. Mm. Um, mm. It made me realize of two things, Greg. One, that I'm so grateful alive because I don't know too many people get hit by a truck riding a bicycle and survive. And two, that I was now considered a, a C12, thoracic vertebrae in the back. T 12 two, running about belly button, uh, incomplete paraplegic. So... I was already better off than the guy i was talking to um i didn't see him for a while because we both flat on our backs but eventually i realized i was just so grateful for life and in time when to put pins and plates in my arms that i would hopefully get use of my arms again in my upper body so that turning point was uh, from intensive care into the general ward And when i was moved in the bed to the general ward uh, the other three guys also were in uh, were quadriplegics and they reliant on everybody so you can imagine mm. not, to say, not to say too much in the darkness great but you can imagine that when in time i could learn to dress myself again and would transfer from the bed by a sliding board which is timbered to the wheelchair um and i could then wheel out of the room when i wheeled back into the room um these three guys were looking at me and i always felt guilty that i the privilege of being able to use my arms to push myself around versus these guys who could not.
0: It's it's amazing. Hospital I was just going to say, it's amazing to have. It's, it's Perspective is amazing. Um, everybody that listens to me on this show would know that I, you know, I, I I love to practice gratitude every single morning. Right? It's it's like go outside, stand on you know the ground look at the stars if I'm up early, which I usually am, and just go through every aspect of gratitude I can from fresh running water to fresh air, having a roof over my head, air conditioning, being here in Florida, um, and then going through every all the people in my life. And it's amazing how you ha- can you can control what life throws at you with gratitude that then just gives you this enormity of perspective that you almost can't get down on yourself. But the way that you've manage that so early on in the piece you know what I mean like it's I I kind of was there an aha moment for you like in terms of I'm gonna you know I'm gonna thrive not just survive
1: uh, certainly not in those initial stages I think a couple of other pieces to share that my dad um he was a masseur um and also the singing was his love so sang at the Opera House, and it was a real privilege to see him do that. That's what oh, he wow. loved to do and what would light him up. But he was back to the hospital. He was rubbing my legs, um, you know, trying to wield life back into them. Uh, he said to me he would give me his if he could, and that's mm. you know what I think all fathers should say. Mm-hmm. Um, my first recollection to Dad was when I in and out of the coma was how was my bike. Um, <laughs> and you can imagine Greg, the response there is like, hey, we've got bigger things to worry about than your bike, but. Um, So that's where I was in the mindset of trying to be competitive with my buddy doing a triathlon, and that's what I was doing at the time. So that was my dad. Uh, My brother saying to me, very pivotal, um, he said, John, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, and I was a sprinter. So that in the context of sport, I knew that was going to be a long time. That was good advice. Mm -hmm. My, My family doctor, he was brilliant. He came to see me as a little boy doctor, not a spinal specialist, he sat on the end of the bed, looked at all the notes, and clearly there were many. Eventually, he, uh, Dr. Gabriel was his name. He said, John, don't worry. You're going to be bigger. You're going to be stronger, and you're going to be faster. And then he left the room. And what he did, Greg, was he planted a seed of hope that in time um, I, I was going to be okay. So I, I took that, and I tried to run with it. I used the words intently. <laughs> mm. And I said to him many years later, I said, why did you say that when I saw him in his hospital at at his practice? And he said, I saw a broken man and I didn't know what to say. And that came to me. trying to lift you up or give you something. That's what came to me. So those words, um, you know, really inspired me to, in time that I would be able to get out of that hospital and then start to build myself up, you know, and maybe I could be bigger, faster and stronger in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think that was the case. And that were words of wisdom from you know from my dad, my brother, my uh, my doctor. So my best mate was there. So I, I had a wonderful support network, which we all do, um, mm-hmm. that were around when the time was dark. My best mate John Young was there, me in hospital once a week for four months. That's that's a big ask. Greg, when you just you stop and you know, think about time today, it's relative as it was then. Mm-hmm. I asked him, "As well, what? Why did you do that?" And he said. When I was a kid, I was quite sick, so I spent a lot of time in hospital, and no one came to visit me. So you can see I was, I was sad when, I, when he shared that with me, but I was also grateful for the fact that he knew what it was like for me to be in the hospital, and that's why he wanted to be there for me, and he was. So I guess those people started to build uh, a level of confidence, and in time, you know, we start to see the light again. So it took a while, but four months is uh, the time that I spent in the spinal unit.
0: Wow. And, and then part of this journey, you know, this, I'm going to be faster, stronger, you know, when was it that you started saying, okay, I'm going to set myself different goals. Obviously, you know, being a professional rugby player or, uh, or, or being a fireman, those goals had changed, but you, you've set about and gone and broken, you know, multiple barriers, um, as a wheelchair athlete including being the first to complete the YI Ironman and, and swimming the English channel and all these enormous challenges. W- was there a moment where you were like, okay, I want to, I want to do something extraordinary?
1: Yes. Yes. Well, I, I didn't say it as extraordinary. Here's, here's a good one. Um, I think mm. it's a good one to share with you and the, and the listeners because it's always good to, to give perspective. So let me share this insight. So here I am, um, my best mate with, built ourselves up, or me certainly belly button upwards. Um, And, you know, we would train together in our gym. We called it the house of pain. And the view was that, um, you know, back to my doctor, that, you know, maybe bigger, faster, stronger to me meant I was going to run again. And if I pushed myself as hard as I could and give 100%, then, you know, I'm going to give myself every opportunity to run again. So that was the thought initially. And finally got to that point um, probably about 12 months afterwards when I'm in the bedroom with my dad and push myself so hard every single day. And I said, Dad, you know, it's uh, it's not happening. And I just got upset because I guess I was holding on to tears for a long time that I didn't um, shed. Mm. And my dad was a strong, stoic Scotsman. He was a policeman walking the beat back in the day. So he was hard, hard. Mm. Um, He said, son, um, you know, you, you got hit by a truck. And when he said that, it really resonated to the point that, you know what, I did get hit by a truck and I remember it vividly and it hurts. And, you know, I was just fighting against the truck and I was fighting against the wheelchair and I was fighting against, you know, a lot. And that's when he said that it landed. So it's was the right person, right time, right conversation. And that evoked in me a lot of emotion. I'd started crying and my dad held me and cried with me. And it was good, Greg, because it was releasing um, emotion. It was releasing a lot of pent-up aggression. It was releasing a lot. Mm. and. You know, it, it, that never happened for me as a boy because dad was, you know, a soldier don't cry, you've got to be strong, and that's the generation at the time, and I'm sure his dad would have said the same presumably. Mm-hmm. So back to your question in the transition. Um, he then said, you know, son, how far can you go? Uh, you know, which is such a beautiful question. It's a that, wonderful so
0: question. Oh, my goodness, that's yeah, perfect.
1: That, that, that's, that's when that was planted, mm. and um that's when I went, well, I need to accept the fact that I'm in the wheelchair. I need to accept the fact that I'm not going to play football. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to jump on the beach, all that. And then I said to my best mate, Jono, because we were doing all the weight training, I said, would you help me? Um, I'd like to do the the Nepean Triathlon again, but I don't want to do it with everyone looking at me or feeling sorry for myself, all those kinds of Mm -hmm. thoughts, which I guess is um, safe to say that that's what most of us would feel because most of us have anxiety, most of us have times of depression and most of us have times where we don't believe in ourselves and therefore we don't, you know, set goals or challenges. So that's what I said to him. I said, could you do it with me maybe the week before? And it was just my little mountain to climb at the time mm-hmm. that my best buddy was going to be there for me and we could do it together. Mm-hmm. And his response was perfect. He said, no, <laughs> he said, you're going to do it with me and everybody else. You've got to face your fear and I'm going to be there with you. So that's it. And bearing in mind his, you know, footy player, so he was 100 and. Twenty kilos, so that would be in pounds uh, would be. That
0: that's uh, what are we talking? One sixty plus twenty. He's he's well over two hundred pounds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So
1: he's a, he's a big guy. 6'4", yeah. six four. So he's tall. And yeah. he's you know, strong. He's a, has a presence. So this is exactly what happened. We we go back to do the Nepalese triathlon. Um, there was one a wheelchair, one hand cycle, and you know, a guy, a big strong guy, carrying, piggybacking his. Uh, mate, friend, to the water's edge. And you can imagine Greg Deli Carr was there as a photographer, who yeah. I'm sure you know well. Yeah, yeah. The, the legend, deli the photographer, he was, you know, snapping away on his, uh, on his Nikon. And I felt very uncomfortable because, you know, this was – I was so far out of my comfort zone because being an introvert, I was probably more comfortable to, you know, not to be in the limelight. Yeah. And, you know, back to the event, John, I said, you know, let's go we're going to focus here so he swam off and I swam as best I could I mentioned I wasn't a very good swimmer running was my kind of thing and then eventually I come to the conclusion and there to the side in the water is Jono so I swam onto his back and tensed reserve in Penrith by the river I'm not sure you ever did that I did that was was my
0: first ever race mate 1986 in the Pean Triathlon yeah I was 14 yep go on
1: perfect you know how steep that hill is oh yeah getting out of the uh, river (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so here I is and people are clapping and cheering and, you know, I'm still uncomfortable. So then John puts me into my wheelchair um, where I kind of transitioned and got changed and got onto my hand cycle, my hand bike. Um, And he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. He said, Where you go. So he takes off and I take off and then eventually do the 40 kilometres. As you know, you know that race well. Mm -hmm. And then I got into my uh, wheelchair and I went over to the Nepean um, in your plain side of the bridge, and we went up Sanctuary Drive, which is, you may recall, a very steep hill. Yes, There yes. was an ambulance following me from behind, and the ambulance guy got out and he said, you know, are you okay? Do you need a hand? And I just thought, just a little bit more, right? Just like, If I keep on pushing a little bit more, yes. and had to had catch my breath. And eventually I got to the top, and eventually I crossed the finish line, and I was the last competitor. But it, it, it lit me up, Greg, to say maybe there's something more. So O challenged me, and that was the event, which then – led to, transition this quickly for you, that led to watching wild water Sports back in the day. And here I am, I see Welshie win Kona. I see a wheelchair athlete participating, John Franks. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy and proud that Walshie, uh, as an Australian, won the Ironman, which I'd watch as a kid, you know, back in the day. Mm. And it, with his Australian flag, he jumped in the air, you might recall, and they planted a the seed, but like, maybe this guy in the wheelchair didn't finish. so uh, Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could be the first in the world to uh, do Kona and maybe I could have my Australian flag and maybe I'm not going to jump across the line, but I could do a wheelie. And, yeah, so that's yeah, where that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Transition and, and led to Kona.
0: I love that. What, what year was it when you came back and did Nepean Triathlon? How, how long after the accident was that?
1: Yeah, so that was 1994. Yeah. 1994. And that's when I watched uh, 1994 Konas when – Greg Welsh won, so yeah. that's what I saw on World Water Sports, um, and that's when that planted that seed. So I, I wrote away, wrote a letter, and the letter I have got to Sharon Ackles, who was the race director in Kona, um, and she said, if, uh, "Yes, you can uh, try and qualify. There's a qualifying race in Panama City, Florida. Whoever wins the wheelchair category will come to Kona as a demonstration event. So that's the that's the course, if you will, if you'd like to try to get to Kona." So that's when I went to uh, Panama City and I won the Witcher category and that's how I managed to line up.
0: Wow. The, so there was no, there was no give There was no gimmies for you. I mean, you still had no. to, you know, it's like, uh, and the other fascinating thing is, you know, we skipped over six years, you know. Um, yes. You know, that's, that's taken, it took time to your point earlier. Like it, it takes time. I think your dad's quote of how far you can go you know, that no limits mentality. Um, that one, that one's just fantastic. It's not about being perfect. It's not about anything else other than just saying, look, what else can you do? I love that. That yeah. one resonates with me. Um, you talking about wide world of sports, watching Walshy. you and I, I think our journeys in terms of timeline are very similar. Um, yes. You know, I was racing Welshie when we'd come home to Australia and I'll never forget, just bringing it back to me for one moment, <laughs> I'll never forget going to... I think it was 91 or 92 national Australian championships or whatever. And it was up on the gold coast somewhere. And I was sitting in the briefing room and I'd done a couple of pro races, but I was really nothing. And Greg Welsh walked in and he's like, G'day Greg. I was like, he knew my name. (laughs) I was yeah. I was so chuffed. And then, you know, he went off to win the the big one, the Hawaiian Ironman, um, which inspired a lot of us. You know, you talk to Chris McCormack or Craig Alexander, yourself, a generation of Australians were inspired by that moment. You know, it was almost like when Australia won the America's Cup, you know, and John yes. Bertrand, you know, in, in the early 80s, there was 82, 83, um, you know, and that inspired a nation of athletes as well. But there's moments as Aussies that I think that affected a generation that said, Hey, maybe, maybe I can do that too. You know, uh, tell, tell me, tell I, me, I want to chat to you about, you know, you you're kind of skimming over the fact that, okay, maybe I can do Iron Man and maybe I can finish it. What are some of the sort of challenges that you faced um, in these kind of events that are tough enough, you know, on the rest of us that aren't having to use our arms for the entire, you know, event. I mean, what, what, what are some of the things that you had to deal with that the rest of us wouldn't?
1: Yeah. Um, let me share some insights on that space. So I think coming back to the audience. So imagine if you're listening to this and therefore the questions you might pose of yourself, for example, you know, if I was to say, could you, could you run a marathon or could you get to the finish line of a marathon? Mm. And most people would say, outside of sport-related people, most people would say no. Mm. And I'd like to follow that up with another question. Hands um, up if you could run a marathon or complete a marathon, um, if your life depends on it. And all of a sudden, every single hand, as a presenter, every single hand goes up. Mm-hmm. So what's happened there is we've gone from uh, we don't believe we can to we believe we can because we don't want to die. So therefore that reference is, you know, at least I'll get to the start line. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you're able to apply those principles, um, your life could look so much different if you choose to um, chase goals or dreams. And so, here's the example. Um, as I said, watching the Ironman, and uh, this was the mecca because as a kid, I looked at that. And because as a footy player and, and a runner, it's like, wow, man, I could never do that. Those guys are crazy. They you know swim 2.4 mile and they do a 112 mile bike ride and then they run a mountain. It's like these guys are crazy like you can see the conversation as a kid who enjoyed doing sport but it's like i could never do that mm. so fast forward time to your point um here i am now lining up um, trying to be the first wheelchair athlete in the world to complete arguably the toughest endurance event or one of so therefore the mindset has changed so all of a sudden now it's like okay all i have is the upper body and if i take one stroke at a time then maybe i make the swim cut off and if i do i get onto the bike and if i keep on pushing it i'm you know, I might make the 5.30 cutoff time, and if I get into the racing chair and I keep on pushing that, then I might get to the finish line and therefore the dream because <laughs> I love this piece about you know starting with the end in mind. That's Toby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one of his famous quotes, and it's so true because back to Welshie right, you know, I the line with a flag, my picture was that I was going to do a wheelie with my, in my wheelchair with my Australian flag. So that's, that's starting with the end in mind. The actual day, I'll quickly run that through you, Greg, to share some of my insights from my first experience given that Panama City is as flat as you can get and that's that's where I qualified. So the thinking at the time was, in my mind, if I double the time, double the distance, then therefore that's my day in Kona. Mm. Very wrong. <laughs> so, you know, he'd win hills. So my swim was one one seven. friends to help me in and out of the water, on, onto the hand bike. Um, eight stations, as you know, every six miles or 10 kilometres. And, you know, NBC coming up and filming, Channel 9 coming up, Charles Stewart was the guy who did the – sport here with Iron Man, mm-hmm. you know, leaning out of the car and asking questions. And I, I, I seriously felt like, wow, as a little boy, I dreamed about being an athlete. And when my accident happened, the door of sport closed in my mind, like I was never going to do anything. And all of a sudden, when I changed my thinking or my mindset, here I am actually, actually doing the event, being interviewed in real time.
0: <laughs> inspiring, um, you know, inspiring, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. You know, it's like it's all yes. part of being an athlete, you know, the inspiration that you can you can I hopefully deliver. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Go
1: Absolute, on. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm doing the I'm actually doing it. And my thought in hospital, Greg, just to briefly touch back on that was I needed to do two things, something with my life because I had a second opportunity, very grateful. And the other one was, How do I inspire kids in wheelchairs? Mm-hmm. So back to dad, how far can you go? I thought, okay, if I if I could do Hawaii and if that was able to be Uh, televised and maybe some kids around the world in wheelchairs might see that and that might lift them up. That was my thinking. So Mm -hmm. here I am doing the race. Um, Long story short, you know, the headwinds going up to Harvey. So also equally, um, I was so excited to see the helicopters, um, you know, and the media trail coming back, watching you guys coming back on the other side of the road. And just thinking, wow, wow, like how fast are these guys going? And then I did the turnaround to Harvey, and as you know, the trade winds do turn around. So I had the headwind there and the headwind on the way back. And I'm here, I'm all by myself, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh man, this is so so hard. It was so so much easier watching on a television, you know, yeah, and <laughs> around there, and then. The interesting thing is I started to have some negative conversation, again, Mm. we all do, and that negative was like maybe just pull over the side of the road here at the next aid station and, you know, that's it and it's kind of all done. And with this negative conversation, if we become aware of it, internal dialogue, we can start to um, navigate where we choose to go. So for me that was got to flip that coin, got to flip that switch, Mm. i got to get, you know, Let's get the positive conversation and the positive conversation. Remember the guys in the spinal unit. Remember the guys who looked at me when I came into the room. Remember, you know, the the look in their eyes. What would they give to have this opportunity? And Mm -hmm. remembering, you know, you wanted to inspire kids in wheelchairs. You know, what are you saying to these kids around the world if you pull out or you give up on yourself? So you can see this narrative in my mind was going from, you know, you've done the course. It's very tough with headwinds. It's, I'm, I'm going to say I haven't done it with my legs, but it was certainly hard to it with my arms. Oh, so there was – and then I kind of started to flip that around, right? So let's quickly get through kind of – but, you know, I get to the bottom of the hill, off the last hill on the bike section, and my mate says to me, you know, you've missed the cutoff, um, but they're going to let you go on. And I said, you know, I'm kind of done. The swim was one 7 i I've been on this bike now, hand soccer for 10 hours and 40 minutes. I'm pretty tired. I'm done, and he said, What's well, my son's birthday today? I'm not with him, I'm with you. Um, so you know, keep going. And that's when he literally <laughs> opened up my heart, he squeezed it, and he said, There's more in you, don't give up on me. So you can see again, right? Like all of a sudden, my tank is completely empty after doing 112. My mate says that to me, Now my tank is completely full. I could see this flipping of the coin, right? Or the yeah. flipping of the switch. So then uh, I was told I was officially disqualified, and he said, Please, got David Gates, the president at the time, said, Go on. I want to see whether this course can be completed. So I did in 1452. Quick story, Greg, went back the next year, re in Santa Rosa, uh, California, yeah. and um, did the swing in 1-5. Missed the bike, cut off to you a know, flat by 15 minutes. Again, asked the fin- to go on in 1439, so a little bit quicker. went back the next year, relocated to... Uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, to be next to the guy to design the handcycles cycles and racing wheelchairs. He was now the first ever wheelchair category in 1997. Yeah. Um, obviously, those three athletes wanted to be the first in the world to make all the cutoff times. Made um, a the swim in an hour, uh, well ahead of the other two wheelchair wow. athletes. Uh, I made the bike to run with an hour and a half to spare, and I crossed the line in 12-21. Been a third of the field, and um, that's my Iron story because I finally got the finishers' medal. And each time I crossed the line with my Australian flag, I was very proud of trying to emulate Welsh, the great man. So that's that's the Iron Man story,
0: mate. I just, I just thank you for sharing it because it's uh, I could listen to you tell those kind of stories. I watched all of those on you know on wide world of sports and on TV and for me you know the 90s and iron man and all of that was such a special time and i remember watching you and cheering for you in, in, in each of those and, and it's amazing that it was god it still blows my mind that we're talking 25 years ago because it feels so so recent it feels like it brings out emotions you know i remember you know shedding a tear watching all of those moments um super special you truly did inspire not, not just the kids in wheelchairs, you inspired us all because like you said, you know, you, you overcame all of that negative self-talk and you just kept turning up. Like I said, in the top of the show, you're one of the most resilient, most adaptable people, you know, I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And I think that's a really cool story. But then now look, box has ticked. Um, I, I don't, did you have any moments where box was ticked? Okay. Now what do I do? Was it kind of a bit empty yes. or is it you go back to that quote from your dad and saying, how far can you go? It's like, what's next?
1: No. So that, that was always there underlying. Um, and I missed my daddy's past many years ago, but, mm, um, I'm sorry. I to hear. think of him often. Mm. Uh, I, think, I think of him often. And he, he was the right man mm. saying the right thing. And I, I'm always trying to relate to others. And therefore for those listeners, you know, who's that person that was pivotal in your transition, mm-hmm. you know, to, to encourage. And there's those people for all of us. So here's the next opportunity. Hawaii is very hard, as you know. So I I didn't want to continue, and I could have stayed in that space maybe for a little while before someone came to knock me off the perch, but I just felt like I'd opened the doors for others. And now, as you know, Ironman Mm -hmm. um, embraces wheelchair athletes, both male and female, and it's wonderful that if you would like to participate at that level, you can, both um, at Ironman level as well as um, Paralympic level, there's Mm -hmm. Mm Paratriathlon. So hopefully I was able to play a part in Um, opening the door for the triathlon space. But moving on, um, I was at a local pool in Penrith, Penrith Pool, um, just doing a bit of a recovery swim because I I enjoyed this piece about exercise. I like getting up earlier in the morning. I like to exercise. I like to have that, um, that feeling of and the enjoyment of how grateful I am to have the opportunity. That's remembering that I was in the spinal unit for four months, so that was an added piece on that. Here I'm having a swim. And this guy comes up to me, and his name's Ian Byrne, and he said, "Hi, John. My name's Ian." I said, "Hi, Ian." He said, um, "I just want to congratulate you on your Ironman achievement." And I said, "I think I read about you in the paper, Penrith Press." And he said, "Yes." I said, you just found the English Channel?" And he said, "I did." He said, "Mate, if I could do it, so can you." And that's how that journey really started. <laughs> like, and I think there's another thing too, Greg. Like, because again, to be relevant for others. Um, opportunities present themselves to all of us all the time. It's just that most of us don't have our eyes and ears open to those opportunities. Well said. Then mm. um, was there for me to plant the seed and um, thought, wow, like maybe maybe I can. As a non-swimmer, I, I shared that with you at the start, um, what would that be like? And therefore back to dreaming. that said how far, so that would be good. So if I was able to do that, um let me do some research and I found out that no athlete, well, first of all, no wheelchair athlete had ever done the English Channel because it's its very hard. Yes, so, how far is it? Um, give us
0: give us a bit of details yeah, for so people that don't it's know. It's
1: 21, 21 and a half miles as the coral flow. So, you know, Dover to Calais, that's a direct line. Wow. Very, very few people swim direct line because, well, the conditions don't allow that. Um, it's in the summer months where you can swim the Channel and therefore the water temperature it's kind of 15 or 16 degrees. Greg, you might kind of help with it. Yeah, we're talking
0: about 60, 65. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. So that's the water temperature. And I'd found out that if I was able to swim the channel, that'd be uh, a world first. So that's good off the back of um, Ironman. I mm. also found out that no athlete full stop had done both Man channel. <laughs> and that's understandably because, as you know, they are diametrically opposed, as is black to white. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> Well, they're um, both they both crazy events, so they have that in common. <laughs>
1: well, agreed, as well as endurance. I think that's yeah, the no, of course, of course. But when you think about um, what's okay, so what's the opposite of being you know ripped to shreds, um, you know as fit as you've ever been, as strong as you've ever been to do an Ironman? The opposite of that is um, carrying weight. Um, I put on twenty kilos or forty four pounds. Wow. Um, the water, water temperature got down to nine degrees. Wow.
0: So training. Forty-five um, for everybody so, listening. Wow! Yeah, yeah
1: that's so cool. That's, so I'd swim um, around a lake where they had the Olympic uh, Games in Sydney, two thousand, for rowing and kayaking. That's where I, a base of swimming. I'd go to Penrith Pool as a recovery swim, and on a Saturday morning, I'd go to Bondi Beach, and that's where I'd get some salt water and you know, backwards and backwards step So I'd, I'd put on twenty kilos. I could swim in nine degrees. And that was the challenge that was set. So I thought, okay. Then I met a, a, uh, an amazing guy called David Knight. And David Knight was running Gatorade here in Australia. Mm, I know that, name. Gatorade, in, mm, mm. Gatorade involved in, you know, Noosa with all those guys yes, up there. And yes, So that's how I met David. And, and he, he had said to me, you know, I'm running Gatorade and, I'm gonna, you know, he did his first Noosa triathlon and he goes, I want to get into the sport and, you know, I'd, I'd love to stay connected. And I said, can I come and pitch an idea to you? And he said, yeah, Sure. So I came in and, I, Greg, I was really basic, but I basically had a piece of paper to say that I had done uh, Ironman. Um, I was fortunate that that got some exposure on NBC and that hopefully was going to inspire kids in Wichas and would, would you, Gatorade, um, fund um, a swim of the English Channel to do a documentary that hopefully might get picked up and more kids in Wichas could see that. Then he said, yes, yes. Um, uh, I'd like to, to do that. To do that, So there's $100,000 of the marketing budget went to the documentary. Um, and as well, he said on the provider that I am one of your support swimmers. So you can start to see, Greg, if you identify which you have done so well. But for the other people who maybe are looking for a map in order to achieve whatever that looks like, if you become very clear, I call that map, if you become very clear on what it is that you're looking to do, then there's a natural energy or a force that works towards mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. supports you and this gravitational pull towards uh, assisting you to, to achieve. So you can start to see, okay, this guy, Ian Burns, said if I can do it, so can you. So I went, okay, that's where I'm going. I started to build a team. I was got very clear on what that needed to look like. And then all, now all of a sudden everything started to fall into place. So – uh, a coach at the local pool come up to me, David Harvey is his name. He said, um, are you training for something? I said, yes. He said, what are you training for? I said, I want to swim the English Channel. He said, have you got a coach? I said, no, I don't. He said, I'd like to be your coach. Can I be your coach? I said, sure. I need a coach. I need to improve. So does that make sense? You can kind of go, it's a big challenge, to swim the yeah. channel, yeah. As, as is Man, And then all of a sudden, and long story short, Greg, if, if that's of interest to you or the listeners, I'm happy to get that to you, which you can share for everyone so there was a doc, there is a documentary. Please do. Um, it was shown mm. to National Geographic and Discovery, and you know many people have seen that. So just again another example of looking for the next uh, opportunity, and that was the channel. And we got across in twelve hours and fifty five minutes. So I say we because it's always a collective team that mm-hmm. helps the individual cross alone.
0: Mate, it's it's so incredible. I, I the way you I, I I've shared on this show before, but you know you know the comedian Chris Rock. And he, and he tells this story and he's like, you know, my car kept breaking down on the highway and, you know, I put my thumb out, you know, waiting for somebody to come, you know, stop and help me, but no one ever would. And then there's one time it was late at night and um, it was pissing with rain and I had to push my car to get under an overpath just ahead. So I got out of the car and just started pushing the car. And he said, the moment that I started pushing the car, everybody stopped to try and help me get it under the bridge. It was like... So the analogy being simply, look, when people see you trying, when people see you moving in a direction, they all want to get on board to help. But if you just have your thumbs up saying, help, 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 nobody really gets out to help. But when they see you on a a mission, when they see you've got a vision and a direction and you're you're moving, it's amazing. It's amazing how life starts happening. I, I just, I can't agree with you more the way you just told that story. Um, and everybody suddenly wanted to get jump on board. It's it's like, yeah, we all want to help each other when we see each other when we see somebody trying to help themselves. Um, really, really wide words. I, I love that. So then after the English Channel, you know, it doesn't stop there. You know, Paralympics. What happens there?
1: Yeah, th- there's another good one. So then uh, here I am, off the back of this is a. Beautiful quick story to relate back to you, Greg. So I get invited onto Wide World of Sports, and you, you might so cool,
0: so great. awesome. By the yeah. way, everybody, <laughs>
1: go on, yeah. Wide yeah. World of Sports. <laughs> Colin Livingston and yeah, so here, here I am, you know, Cole Livingston interviewing me He's a you know world class swimmer. It's like the little boy within me, and I think it's important to share that because the little boy within me is alive and well at 57 years of age. Yes, as is with you and as with yes. every man and little girl with every woman. Yeah. The question there is, you know, when, when is the last time you've tapped into that smaller version of self? So back to wild water sports, here I am going, wow, I'm actually on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I watched when I was a kid. I just It was it was so crazy to to think that that kind of happened. And then the next question was um, from Max, I think it was. He said, you know, well, what's next, John? And I thought um, I've never been – I've never had the opportunity to represent my country and maybe at the Paralympics I, I could have that. So then I-, I identified pretty quickly, you know, doing a little bit of wheelchair uh, racing as part of doing you know Ironman. Yeah. Um, and that was my probably my weakest, because uh, I built my swimming up, but that was my weakest leg. And I thought, I'm going to try and see if I can make the Paralympics in wheelchair racing. So that was the next uh, goal to work towards.
0: <laughs>
1: and, um, I mapped that out pretty quickly. I identified, you know, coaching training partners. And you know, this, this belief in self equally gathers momentum. Right? Mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. say to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, I can do that. I can try. And that's, that's, that would be my message to anyone listening that um, when we're kids, our parents, we innately try. That's what we do as kids because, you know, try and stop a baby from moving. Of good luck, right, because mm-hmm. babies are going to crawl and then they're <laughs> going to try and stand up. They're going to fall over. They're going to get back up again. They're going to keep on going. So mm-hmm. there's that innate ability of wanting to do th- challenges The challenge is over time that we find excuses as we age and we say, you know, oh, I can't or mm-hmm. we I'm get tired, comfortable, or, yeah. or, or I'm injured mm-hmm. or, or all that kind of dialogue. So back to, back to wheelchair racing and back to Paralympics. So I thought, you yeah, know, I'm just going to try. So um, I managed to um, represent in 2000 in the Paralympics in the events I did was the 4x4 four four relay, the 1500, the 5000, the 10,000, and the marathon. So I managed to achieve the objective. I, what I learned Greg, was that, um, you know, some of the athletes that I had beaten previously in the lead up who medaled focused on one or two events at most, um, and I realized that, um, you know, you get tired when you're doing all those <laughs> events in a, in a period of time. I didn't, I didn't have any background, background in terms of, you know, I hadn't been in wheelchair racing for very long. I lost yeah. the 20 kilos six weeks after the channel. And then, yeah. you know, now I was trying to be a, a world class. So that was the Paralympics in Sydney in 2000, which is a, a huge honor to represent at games.
0: Yeah, of course. And then after that, you went on to do, you kept going, um, more sports, rowing, um, you know, it, was it you just wanted to keep touching on every sport and see which one really fit?
1: And let, let's just quickly touch on Rowan because this is a beautiful one, given I now know that you rowed as a young guy. Well, actually, so,
0: I rowed, but you know what? I was so tiny, mate, I was a, I was in the coxswain seat for most of the time.
1: <laughs> You're still in the boat, right? You're still the I'm still box. in the boat. I'm still in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> so it, here's how this happened. And again, just to share with the, the listeners the opportunity. So I received a phone call in 2007, and the phone call was, John, have you heard of Adaptive rowing?" I said, no. He said, are you interested? No. And then he said, it's been included into the Beijing Paralympic program. Are you interested? Response, yes. <laughs> you, see how, you see how it just kind of, um, there was an opportunity that initially yeah. wasn't exciting for me because, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. But when he said it's a the Paralympics, then straight away I went, wow, maybe this could be my gold medal. I get a second chance. Yeah. Wow. Like, what would that look like? So I go down, because i am put of off your time, but we go down hmm. to the rowing sheds and, uh, there's a, a machine called a concept to row machine, which a lot mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. may have experienced. Uh, one of the ways to completely destroy yourself. So <laughs> that, so the coach said, um, okay, we're going to lock the seat. So in your category, um, you know, the seat doesn't slide, so you have to pivot from your pelvis. He said, so the challenge is one kilometre. You need to go better than four minutes and 20 seconds. Are you ready? Wow. So that, that was it. Yeah. He said, okay, let, let's go push the button. I managed to do that. I said, what's next? He said, you need to win the state champs this weekend. I had not been in a boat, so it's like okay. Um, and you can see how that's exciting but also scary. Right? Yeah, those
0: boats that's are pretty tippy, going. right? I mean, what kind of boat they got? Yeah, that's, yeah.
1: well, yeah, the the, um, the adaptive boats are wider for extra stability, yeah, but still, right.
0: so, yeah, but they're still, yeah, not still,
1: easy. You, you've, got, you've got oars in, yeah. can you fall in? Yes, and yeah. did I? Yes, I did. So, yeah, um, the, first initial times. So I just listened to what he had to say. So, you know, as you know, come forward, engage the blade, pull back. And uh, so we, I managed to do that. And then six weeks later, he said, the national championships, uh, you need to win it, number one. And number two, you need to hope there's a girl because it's a mixed category. And they, uh, I did. And Catherine Ross, my rowing partner, did. And along the way, as part of my first world championships, a mutual friend um, uh, who owned a cafe, because I don't mind a coffee, he said, um, make sure when you get over there to say hello to my friend Drew Ginn. He's a good mate, and he, he was part of the Awesome Foursome. Yes. Uh, Drew is yes. well-renowned in the world of rowing, um, an Olympic legend. So that's how I kind of met Drew, and that kind of opened up the door to, he said to me, the key is to, when you get in the boat, to switch on when you're in the boat, not when you're outside of the boat. Many people overprocess. He said, you know, switch on when you're in the boat, and that was a really good lesson yeah. you know, to learn. Love and then fast forward to Beijing, uh, we got uh, we came second to China. We uh, picked up the silver. Point eight nine was the difference between that. So, Greg, that was the example of growing. So that's uh,
0: awesome. Opportunity,
1: babe. Huge opportunity to continue to present, and when I see them, I, I want to chase them.
0: Maybe it's, it's you are that person that just keeps pushing the car, and people just want to get behind. You know, just even the way you share your stories, I'm like, ah, oh, I got to do something with John. it's like what are we doing now buddy and but let's let's move on because 2013 tell us about that whole year that experience that incredible journey of learning to walk again
1: yes um so it's let me let me start here so the focus was that um london was the next challenge in terms of um, rowing Initially, so I was invited back into the sport from Catherine, and I applied effort working towards that. And I, a long story short, I didn't make the um, I didn't make the team. So I kind of struggled with that. Mm. And again, back to this roller coaster which we all go on. You know, the life is uh, a series of sometimes you're driving the car and sometimes you're pushing it, <laughs> you know, buddy, Rock. Um, and, and then here I am now, and I'm kind of. You know, disappointed because I put so much time and effort into yeah, yeah. it. And Pete, this is where Pete Jacobs comes in. So we go up to Noosa where Pete lives, as you know. And yeah. Pete said, "I'm, I'm going to go and see this guy. Um, I've, I've been injured for a while, and he's kind of my last resort. His name's Ken Ware. Um, and when I come back, I'll kind of catch up with you and give you a bit of an update." So Pete comes back, and he said, "Mate, this is crazy. I went up there limping. I came back sprinting. Yeah. Up there limping, come back sprinting. He goes, You got to go and see this guy.' And I was thinking." Um, Pete, you know, yeah, you're right. I've got a sore shoulder because you know I've done, I've done a, a fair bit of rotation over time, and I thought if you he could help that, that'd be great. So I, I go and see Ken, and Ken said straight up, you know, what do you want? And isn't that a beautiful question, Greg? Because yeah. um, when's the last time someone stopped to ask you or you know the listeners that question? Which it really stopped me on my tracks to go, okay, you ask me something, I'm going to give you my response. Walk. And I said, if I was able to walk on the beach with my wife, that would be amazing. So that's, you ask me what I want, and that's my response. So then I went through this trauma therapy, and as an incom- incomplete uh, T12 paraplegic, incomplete means my spinal cord was not completely bruised or severed. There's always been um, a sparing of the pathways, which is the case for most spinal cord injured people. Interesting. Um, so I, I had some movement and some feeling on left side not right side. So we went through this therapy, and... Ken's language was always fascinating because he would say, um, okay, John, so close your eyes and therefore you switch off the visual cortex and it's resistance, uh, Greg, which we all know because we've spent time in a gym. But mm. imagine if you would that you're doing a, a lat pull down. lat pull down as in it's a pulley and it's normally mm. a you know, bar. and So now he would have a piece of equipment that would have the unilateral application meaning there would be two pulleys, So you've got one in left, one in right, and therefore it could move up or down, Mm -hmm. not a fixed plane. So with your eyes closed, um, he would get me to do that, and he'd get me to go really slowly, really slowly. And then he'd go, just stop there, just stop there. And there's uh, memory for all of us, for all of our life's experiences. And this was starting to unlock and to try and realign my body as best it could because I was so far out of whack. Um, And there was a particular time when – He said, oh, John, you know, because I had my eyes closed. He said, do you feel like you're in the middle? And with my eyes closed, again, this dual pulley system on the way down, I felt 100% that my hands were equal and even and parallel. Um, And I said, yes. And he said, are you sure? And I said, yes. He said, open your eyes. And I looked in the mirror because there was a mirror in front. And there was a discrepancy between where my Ken's were, and I thought, wow, that's this, is this mm. perception of this reality. I mean, I was absolutely not in the middle. I perceived I was. So then Ken kind of altered that back the other way to go, okay, now let's find, let's come back, and there's the middle. So, with this process of trying to find the middle, um, and I'll fast forward this with you because conscious of your time, then eventually we got to the beach. And wow. we had done, done some stuff with my legs, and he said, you know, just. Believe that it's possible that you'll be okay. So he drew a line in the sand and he said, do you have the courage to start to try and take a step? And therefore the theory was if I fell over, I was on the sand and you know, I wouldn't hurt myself. So I managed to take a few steps. And again, on my right side, the paralysis is still in place. That hasn't disappeared. Mm-hmm. It's just doing the best of trying to maximize what you have access to. And this is back to giving your best or 100%. So I took a couple of steps and then I fell over. And then back to the start line, he said, this time bring your arms lower to your body. And a few more steps and fell over. Back to the start line, he said, this time try and bring your knees up higher. So in my mind's eye, Greg, I was uh, in a lane next to Usain Bolt running 100 meters. Um, (laughs) And that's where I was in my mind, right? So I was doing everything I could do not to fall over. And we were able to walk, you know, maybe 20 meters, something like that. And then... Stopped and, and looked at me and he said, um, He said to me, You wanted to walk on the beach and he said you wanted to walk with your wife. So this is the beach, there's your wife. And the man and I held hands walking back. Wow. So you can see, you can see that that is more powerful. Uh, well, again, it's just another opportunity, but I could have said to Pete Jacobs, No, buddy, that guy's not going to do anything for me. Mm. I'm going to get back into. You know. So that, that was the opportunity to know. That there is more for me, and that's when I kind of switched off, um, you know, that other side of me to go. I wonder what's next for this. And then, luckily, sixty Minutes picked up a story. Um, Darren Piera, who um, runs a company in Melbourne called Neuromuscular Orthotics, so essentially it's carbon fibre leg brace technology. He's an orthotist, so if you've if an amputee, he'll help you get back on your feet, and that's what he's done for me. He said, "I've got something for you, which you might be interested in." Um, so I flew down to Melbourne, he cast my legs and therefore then I had the carbon fiber leg brace technology and I thought maybe I could go back and finish the PN 26 years later. So that's that transition between wheelchair, um, learning to be on my feet and taking on the PN triathlon.
0: Bloody hell. What a great story, mate. I've even got a little tear. Is, um, that's really cool. No, I love it. I love it. You know, going for a walk with your wife on the beach, um, Really, really inspirational, mate. And, and then to go to Nepean twenty six years later, um, I've been on your website, and if people want to go to johnmclane dot com dot They actually can see uh, the work that you were doing with Ken Ware as well. It's it's unbelievable the lot, in terms of the way you know your body would shake and you know the, almost the fighting. Uh, uh, it was incredible. If people want to go, the tremor. So yeah, tremor is exactly exactly it um then going back to that nepean triathlon 26 years later um your mates there and and uh family what what was that experience like
1: wow that was huge so now nike being one of my sponsors at the time had given me a check back before soon the english channel for twenty thousand dollars which i started a foundation which was a namesake to Give back to Mm -hmm. the chat. Yes, the the John
0: McLean Foundation. That's right. Yeah, John
1: McLean Foundation. So that's um, up and running, and therefore, you know, we had uh, done really well to kind of promote the event, and therefore, there was you know a quarter of a million dollars um, we're going to be raising for the foundation. So that was an added drive to get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. my son was going to be waiting for Dad close to the finish line. That's, you know, there's a inspiration to get there. Wow. Um, I, I invited a bunch of people to join me, so a couple of names you remember. So Dave Orlowski, mm-hmm. one of the original Man 73, came 30, flew out. Um, uh, Steve Waugh, I asked him to join me, wow. Australian captain of cricket. Wow. Um, um, but we had uh, Crow was there, um, Kai Hurst was there, um, we, Phil Kearns was there, rugby. Oh, Brad my Fitton goodness. There, rugby league. Yana um, Pittman so essentially what I did there Greg I just kept on asking people would they be kind enough to, to join me and back to your Chris Rock analogy pushing the car um, they, they kept on saying yes so you know, more and more people came along those know,
0: iconic Australian push. names by the way I- iconic Australian for Americans listening it's basically picking all your greatest American athletes <laughs> <laughs> John's gone hey, and too. got the, the who's who of Australian sport to go do this event with him this is very cool
1: and it was it was so wonderful to and as I'm doing the swim group down the course, uh, you know I've got um, I've got Kaihurst on one side and I've got Crowe Alexander on the other. Here's my guided one kilometre we swim, like, and hey, this is pretty cool. And then you know I, I crawl out of the water and I, I get to a, a plastic chair which we had set up, and you know I, I drive myself off and I put on my carbon fibre leg braces, and with my walking poles I made the way to the bike, and uh, here, here we are doing. The 30 kilometers, that was challenging. But And then the really hard part was taking the first steps. And now all the weight is coming through those carbon fiber braces and um, it hurts straight away. But Mm. I knew that if I kept on um, putting the pain uh, aside, that eventually we, um, Amanda, Jack, and I could hold hands and cross the line together and therefore that that picture came to life. And Mm. that was the proudest moment for me. We had kids in chairs there and it was really special that – we're able to, to do that. And the crazy thing, great is now, you know, they're they're making a film out of that. Um, so hopefully that'll, that'll be, uh, that'll come to life and hopefully it'll lift people up and inspire them to, to chase their own dreams.
0: Oh mate, you're bloody incredible. I've loved it. You, you've, you've gone out, you've been, you become quite a renowned motivational speaker, inspirational speaker, um, for corporates and teams around the world. Have you enjoyed that part of, you know, what you're doing as well?
1: Uh, yeah, I love it. I wouldn't call myself a, a motivational speaker. I guess that's what the industry would say. I, yeah. I'm, I'm a storyteller. I didn't storyteller. think
0: you'd like I, that. I'm sorry about that. That's <laughs> true. No, no, no that's, yeah. That's, that's, yeah.
1: that's the box that, that that would be in. But yeah. what I've learned, Greg, is um, all I'm doing is sharing stories that are true. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And stories that hopefully uh, resonate because you always try to you know, connect into um, – to the audience or to the theme of the conference, so I love telling stories about people who I love. So that's that's what I do for a living, and I'm I'm very grateful for um, for those opportunities that I continue to present both in the US and you know other parts of the world. I, yeah. I, I love recounting those stories and sharing them. So that's, that's, that's the job.
0: And how about your, um, your books? You've written a couple of books. How far can you go and change a, change a constant challenge? Um, you know, those books, how was how that book writing experience for you?
1: That was interesting. So um, a U.S. publisher picked up the book, ironically, in the U.S. before doing the triathlon. Um, they assigned um, a writer, which I interviewed, and Mark Tab is his name in the U.S. He's a very big name, often New York bestsellers. Um, Mark Tab is just—he was the perfect fit for me, Greg. He came out. We drove the the course for the triathlon. We spent a lot of time together. So he walked the the the, the run component, or the walk component to get a sense of the day. So he um, he helped bring that to life. So he captured my voice. And the book is uh, "How Far Can You Go." And I guess that's the um, that's the what of what happened. Uh, I was asked during COVID, you know, how do you keep on changing and how do you keep on transforming? How can you keep on sharing? Some messages with my team around resilience, or, so therefore I had the time to put a, a methodology together, and that's the that's the how change a constant challenge. Mm. And That's the thing I'd go back and give myself, Greg, after all these years you know, in a spinal unit um, when I was broken. I'd give myself that book to say, "Hey, you're going to fall over, and that's what happens in your life. So get used to it. Uh, you, you will be pushing cars. You know, get used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't always get what you want, but these these five steps will help you to keep on getting." Mm back mm. up again and leading towards the finish line so they're the two uh, the two books that are on the website um if anyone is fantastic interested, reads everybody yeah are they on audible
0: have you gone and read them for us
1: um, I believe I believe the American there's an American voiceover for How Far Can You Go, and I have done the voiceover for Change Your Constant Challenge, so they are available.
0: Awesome on Audible as well, everybody. So go How Far You Can Go, Can You Go? Sorry, excuse me, and uh, Change Your Constant Challenge. And for anybody that wants you for speaking engagements, or they want to support the John McLean Foundation, your website johnmclane.com.au is the best place to go.
1: Yeah, Greg. That's the best way to drive people. Uh, just to know a little bit more about um, what, uh, what what I do, what we do, um, just for a level of interest. If a company is going through change or challenge, mm-hmm. um, hopefully, I might be able to assist.
0: Hundred percent, you will, mate. I, I I I know there's a lot of people listening here going, "Wow, this is really cool." I want to. I know I'm conscious of your time as well, but I'd love to finish if we could with just a, a final three questions. Um, if it, if it's okay, um, what would you tell your eighteen year old self?
1: Eighteen year old self, wow, that's going back a long time, Greg. <laughs> um, I had some, um, I had some huge dreams. I think as eighteen, and for me back then, it was all about wanting to play football. Mm. Um, I, would, I would say to my eighteen year old self, "There's more to life than just sport, or there's more to life than just football." So I guess as a young kid, I was just fixated on mm. on that, um, and I would say that you broaden your horizons and kind of think about a plan B just in case plan A doesn't work out.
0: Mm, I love that. It's almost like you've said yes to opportunity wherever it's come, and I think there's a lot in that. Don't don't be so tunnel vision. You never know what you could be missing out on. Very cool. All right, mate. And the the one, you listen to Pete Jacobs talk about his dinner. So three people you would have to dinner, non-family. They can be living or dead. Who would you want to have for dinner?
1: Okay, I'm going to give you a couple because I've put a little bit of thought into this. <laughs> Sir, Ed, Sir Edmund Hillary. Oh, first, wow. First man to climb Everest. Wouldn't yeah. it be nice to sit down with Sir Edmund Hillary and ask him about his journey? Like what drove him to, mm-hmm. you know, to the highest peak on the planet? Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to have that. Um, Herb Elliott, Herb Elliott. for uh-huh. those who don't know, um, Herb Elliott won a gold medal in 1960 at the Rome Olympic Games in the mm-hmm. 1500 metres uh, in World record time. Herb, uh, retired when he was 22, so he retired and he was never beaten. Yeah. So he went on to have a wonderful um, career. He's
0: the mayor of the Robin Gold Coast, Williams. wasn't he? Or wasn't
1: he? Yes, yeah, so he. Elliott he, had moved around, and yeah. So, just from a running perspective, I was lucky enough to meet Robin Williams via CAF, and I'm sure you come huh? across Challenge Athletes Foundation with Bob Babbitt. Yes, and some of the um, some of the guys who were involved in that. Lou friedland has been a dear friend for me over many years. Um, Greg, who kind of ran Iron Man for a long time, so um, David Knight and I found ourselves doing the CAF event and we're sitting in a booth um, at La Jolla there, and Robin Williams jumped into our booth and had this chat and a conversation. It was such a
0: whirlwind wow.
1: world wind um, opportunity. So um, I got I got to tell him because in terms of inspiration, um, when I saw Dead Poets Society, that really inspired me oh. to in '96 to go back to finish Kona in '97, and I got to tell Robin. You know how much I loved him, and and that movie in particular, how it inspired me. Oh, so, no. wouldn't it be wonderful to sit down and do that? Um, two more quick ones, buddy. I um I had the privilege of doing a commercial for Gatorade in the US, which was aired at the Super Bowl, and I got a chance to meet Muhammad Ali, and that was that was a huge privilege for for myself. Um, but it would have been nice to go back. Um, to have a conversation with Ali when he was at his best, just to have those conversations. Yeah. And mate, I love I love music, so I'm chucking James Brown in there as well. I know <laughs> this is more than three. No, this is um, awesome.
0: What a list!
1: <laughs> could could you imagine? It. Could you imagine a conversation with James Brown in it? Full like oh. <laughs> the, the 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 king of soul. Man, that would be so cool.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Look at this list. Edmund, Sir Edmund Hillary, Her- Herb Elliott, Robin Williams, Marmadale and James Brown, and I will cook the meal and I'll be your waiter, whatever it takes to be on that one.
1: <laughs>
0: That's awesome, buddy. Hey, where do, you, where do you see yourself in, you know, the next five years? What's on, what's on the cards?
1: Yeah, so um, I've been asked to do a lot more of this uh, coaching space. So now we do <laughs> leadership stuff. I've, I've partnered with a psychologist. He's got 30 years in that space. I've got 30 years in mine. So we go to... Um, Blue chip companies to corporations on leadership around the world to yes. help them assist their teams in change. So I see that business growing and ultimately getting to a point where, you know, I'd love to create uh, chances with opportunities at offsites with CEOs and just sitting down having high level conversations around, you know, current challenges in their spaces and then to assist them to believe in chasing their own individual goals, both personally and professionally. So that's where I set myself in five years.
0: And you'll be brilliant at it, buddy. Absolutely. I have no doubt. Um you can really have a great impact on and all of those people. Well, mate, this has been fantastic. Do you want to finish with some rapid fire or you got to get going?
1: Yeah, no, mate, I'm good. So it, whatever works for you, okay. I'll, I'll let's, some coffee when we wrap up.
0: <laughs> let's do a real quick rapid fire because they're kind of fun for everybody. All right, one book you, you'd recommend?
1: One book I would recommend, uh, Tuesdays with Morrie.
0: Oh, lovely book. All right, coffee or tea? Coffee. Favourite event you've ever done?
1: Oh, that's tough. Um, mm -hmm. Favourite event. As an athlete, I'm going to say Kona. As a father and husband, I'm going to say Nepean Triathlon with Amanda and Jack.
0: Very cool. Can a vegetarian eat animal crackers?
1: Uh, If they choose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Favourite Aussie slang word? G'day, mate. Yeah. Beach or mountains? Beach. Best decade of music?
1: I'm gonna go. James Brown. So, what are we talking? They were talking the 70s? 50, the 60s, 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Jazz Jazz, big fan, soul, <laughs> love right. it. Love it. Yeah. Talk all that in. Love it.
0: What, what's one bucket list experience you haven't done that you're kind of like, oh, that'd be kind of cool still? Is there anything still? Tick so many things. <laughs>
1: hmm. Yep. yep. Um, my current challenge, because it's always good to have something to look towards. Into ocean paddling, Greg, so it's the new ah. sport. The world champs are in Molokai. That's in May in Hawaii, from Molokai to Oahu. So that's um, – but the lead-up lead race is what I'm training for at the moment, which is called the Doctor, which is in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah. Um, there's an island called Rottnest Island. It's is 20 kilometres out to sea. And from there to Sorrento I bet you may have been there, so it's 27 kilometres. That's the current um, goal for this year. And next year it would be pretty cool to be able to do that with um, in Hawaii at the world champs in Molokai. Wow. and. Ultimately, Greg, if technology allows me to continue to improve my walking and potentially climbing, um, maybe we can follow Sir Edmund Hillary. But let's see what happens.
0: I love that, buddy. You're always dreaming big. I love it. All right, one final one. What do you think is the greatest movie of all time?
1: Oh, that's tough because I love I? Can I give you
0: two? You can give me three or four. I don't care.
1: Give it to. I'm, okay, I'm going to say so. As, as a boy, he loved to run. A uh, Chariot of Fire. Oh, you've just nailed it! So, Boom. Of Fire.
0: My here. number one movie of all time is Chariot of Fire. So, thank you for mentioning that.
1: Oh, um, Deadpool Society. Because I mentioned that was mm-hmm. that was that was a big one. Uh, love it. And again, um, you know, having these opportunities because there were so many beautiful messages. Mm. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. I mean, there are so many.
0: No, they're great. The ones you've just mentioned are all on my top few. So you and I can have movie nights together. Good to know. Mate, John, this has just been absolutely fantastic. It has been inspirational just listening to your stories. The way you tell stories is also incredible. I I feel like I can see it. I I feel like I can feel it in my bones. So very cool to have you on the show. I truly appreciate you coming on. Uh, It was just absolutely inspiring, mate. The way you tell stories was just absolutely brilliant.
1: I want to reach out and say thank you, Jay, for uh, the introduction. It's been a pleasure, buddy.
0: (laughs) All right, buddy. And for everybody listening, uh, you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Also, go check out au. You can go check out his books, How Far Can You Go? and Change a Constant Challenge. Uh, So go check out those on Audible, or if you like to read them on hard copy, go to his website. So thanks again, John. Stay on the line, mate. I appreciate you, buddy.